0: looking at memory as memory that you contemplate that what happened yesterday is a memory now you remember it it's just that the feelings of being happy or sad high or low confused or clear whatever well, the memory has memory that's the past so you, it's so easy to forget that and to give uh, the memories uh, a, a gravity and importance. It really is. making them more than what they are, they're more than memories, they're self, they're important, they're real. So we have to use uh, Occasions such as this to keep reminding ourselves of memory as memory, of the Buddha seeing the Dhamma. Do you remember something yesterday? Something that like, upset you or bothered you? Some or something that happened, and some something that you that you take very personally. and you keep bringing it in remembering it but from the position of Buddha not from the position of a personality personality you to say he said that to me and blah blah blah, blah. I never how, how can people talk to me like that poor little old me or the Buddha seeing that whole that memory and the feeling of being offended or upset as the conditions of the mind not self this clarity of the mind and knowing paying attention to the way things are then the future tomorrow is is uh the unknown. So you, you're, you're conscious now of not knowing, rather than just assuming that tomorrow is really tomorrow. It has a, when you think of tomorrow as a reality, tomorrow is definitely tomorrow, it has a significance and a reality that when on further examination from the Buddha's position, it's, it's merely perception in your mind. Future, perception of the future is unknown. You don't know the future, but you know there's the knowing of not knowing the future. That's the Buddha, Buddha wisdom knowledge. So we create a mental state around the future, expecting something, looking forward, anticipating, hoping, dreading, worrying. This is the 12th of January, the 15th is the deadline for the... Everybody's getting ready now for the big war, the 15th of January in the future and today uh, uh, Secretary General of the United Nations Peres de Kueya is going to meet Saddam Hussein in Baghdad (coughs) I say please (coughs) would you get out of Kuwait And Saddam Hussein is saying, "We're going to blast the Israelis off the map." The Israelis say, "You want to bat? <laughs> and then uh, Saddam Hussein is is uh, rallying all the Arab world saying, "We're going to get all these infidels out of Saudi Arabia. All these. Um, they really, he's really a." Uh, he's really a dirty rat he's everybody he's really anti-everything his own kind of Arab uh, chauvinism <coughs> and then he says and the Iraqi terrorists are going to Palestinian terrorists are going to blow up all kinds of things all over the world Europe Probably America. This is a threatening is kind of terrorism. Terrorist organisations will will break loose on the fifteenth. Well, a threatening intimidation. The American government is, the British government, advising all their citizens to get out of the Middle East right away <laughs> out of Israel now this is this has a sense of importance doesn't it war and you know, there's a dread about it dreading it and, uh, and yet it's also exciting The war is exciting the idea of a war uh, and, uh, that leaves one's mind with a sense of, of being excited by, I mean, maybe dreading it and being <clears throat> and fearing it, but it also <clears throat> a level of excitement involved in the idea of, of violent of violence and war and terror. This is just the way the mind is. Not take it personally if you think that this is exciting not because you're (coughs) secretly a kind of warmonger and love violence it is just a condition that excites the mind (coughs) I think human human beings (coughs) because of that oftentimes inclined to war because it is exciting peace is boring peacetime economies trying to get things uh, kind of you notice uh, I remember in uh, Indonesia when I lived in Borneo Sukarno uh, was didn't know how to run a peacetime economy President Sukarno in Indonesia Indonesia fantastically uh, a great potential for wealth and natural resources and has everything but he didn't know how to run a peacetime political system or economy so he kept waging wars all the time when I was in I was in Malaysia so he had the they called the confrontation. <coughs> he had a kind of meaningless stupid war going on with Malaysia Saddam Hussein I'm sure it doesn't wouldn't know what to do if there was peace in Iraq because he's been so involved in wars and terror and a, this must be very exciting for him he's like a cornered rat now and yet it's probably still very exciting to to be to be able to stir up the world to get the United States kind of frantic to have the Secretary-General of the United Nations, come with it, please. Get out of Kuwait, don't be such a nuisance. He'll try to work something out. (laughs) Because uh, he knows he's probably going to get done in anyway. He can have a good time. A kind of violent excitement, Power. As you can see, to be here and now is it's a, it's a different you have to develop a whole uh, develop a, a lot of patience and this reflective capacity to be just here and to be aware of the past of the past, the future as the unknown to be able to reflect contemplate the way things are is, is a kind of leap in consciousness, an evolutionary leap from a bhutuchana, or an ignorant conditioned human being, the Pavlovian conditioned human being, to a Buddha, to an awakened being, So this is why, if so, so if, you, if, if this is what you're here for, to be <coughs> awake and alert and realize truth, then this, this uh, refuge needs to be studied and developed. This ability to see things as they are, to know truth directly, Which is not exciting, doesn't excite the mind. Not uh, it's not like a personal achievement because any time you say, "Oh, I'm a Buddha or I'm enlightened," then you've lost it. As long as you start, as long as you fall for that, uh, uh, (coughs) "I have become a Buddha or I am enlightened or I am a sotapanna or I am whatever." Even the view, I am an unenlightened person. I am a, a, a Bhutuchana, or I am a deluded, hopeless case, or whatever. Whenever you fall for that, become absorbed into being somebody, whether you think you're Buddha, or you think you're Devadatta, then you you are back into the Realm of conditioned reactions and habits and samsara but just one <coughs> mindful moment reflective knowledge and realization and that is nibbana non-attachment non-delusion toward the, this conditioned realm seeing it for what it is a condition where one is seeing things they are as they are like if you're feeling uh, any kind of mood if you're feeling confused doubtful it is just that doubt is doubt confusion is confusion it's just what it is things are just what they are only that in the moment they're not permanent they're not self so there's this knowing it's clarity, and and pure purity of knowing things as they are. This is Buddha seeing the Dhamma. It's honest and clear and direct and precise. It's not hazy and theoretical and and uh, probably problematic or anything like that. It's merely things are exactly what they are. What you're feeling is just that just what it is now you don't add it's me or it should or it shouldn't be or anything if it's just seen the way it is whatever arises ceases then the conditioned realm is what it is but we don't we don't create any delusions around it we don't compound it with our ignorant views and opinions, loves and hates. We're conceited. We think that maybe you know we, our presence is. Is a. Uh, what I think is important to everyone. I I am an important person maybe, or I am uh, what I feel is of great significance. Or My opinion, my view should be heard, should be understood. You should understand me. These kind of feelings uh, look at that I am you should listen to me. I am somebody important. <coughs> but don't get me wrong, I'm not saying you shouldn't feel like that, but to, to recognize that as a feeling, the sense of, of I want you to listen to me, I want you to understand me. Now realization is an important word uh, to contemplate because the realization of the cessation of the third noble truth is that the insight is realization. We can realize there's this, when there's mindfulness, then there then we can realize truth. When there's prejudice, bias, attachment to these opinions, then there's no realizing of anything. We're merely uh, distorting everything to fit our particular view. Like Sarabhou saying, view of the world is a is a distortion it's not a realization of what of reality or anything real or what the real problem is or the situation it is a a viewpoint that he 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 interprets all experience from his own ego his own views and opinions prejudices and being in a position of power with a, a a million man army a quite dangerous creature because he's it is, it is a distorted deluded being there's not realization so you have to confront him or you have to Pacify him. You have to do something until kind of calm him down, or to build him up, or to kill him off. Or there's always this reactiveness to to uh, somebody like that. They, but in uh, a human being who who can realize truth, then there's uh, then. Then there's possibility of solving old problems because we're not fixed in a position, we're not we're not committed to a position or a bias on any issue. You say in contrast to Iraq, the like the Dalai Lama in the, of Tibet. Rather than condemning the infidels that the Chinese Communists that invaded and destroyed Tibet took it over and uh, destroyed a whole culture and persecuted millions of people, destroyed all the monasteries and grounds for for condemnation and hatred if, if anyone had any grounds. Uh, that could feel justified in hating and condemning. The Dalai Lama certainly uh, is one who could be justified in feeling angry and hate hating the Chinese. But he is he is more interested in realizing truth than in than in being a Tibetan or a Dalai Lama or a Buddhist or whatever in hating. Uh, people that, that persecute uh Tibet. That is that is a conditioned realm, but that's not the realm of dharma that's not the dharma realm or the ultimate reality. And the Muslims, isn't it? They tend to see everyone else as an infidel. Everyone else is some kind of infidel. There's always this sense of some being totally wrong or kind of bad in a way. If you're an infidel. It certainly, is a pejorative word. So there's me and you. I'm right. You're wrong. You can kill infidels. You go to heaven. God takes you. All well, it takes you right up there. You kill an infidel. It's like a, like a you know, you, um, direct flight, <laughs> non-stop. <coughs> but that's not dhamma, is it? That's not the way things are. That's how we might interpret or believe. But the Buddha seeing dhamma. We. You see that that uh, the idea of 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 infidels is a condition of the mind. If we think of all the (coughs) Muslims as infidels and condemn them, or the Chinese communists, or whoever, then then we're lost. We're back in the samsara again, with prejudices, biases. It's the division, the the separation from reality, the illusory realm. So one has to give great credit to the Dalai Lama for maintaining uh, as a, a living example of a human being who actually whole interest is in realizing truth rather than than being a Tibetan nationalist or a, a, a righteously indignant and and wanting to get even, take revenge, all these these uh, emotional states that we all have, I'm sure that he it, he doesn't uh, he's not I'm sure he's quite capable of feeling that way. these are human <coughs> reactions. Remember, like. male conceit a friend of mine used to say no woman has ever turned her back on me I've left them before they've left me (coughs) I'm nobody is going to take advantage of me nobody's going to you know this is a kind of uh, I'm someone that you know I'm so clever and wise and so good and so so desirable and so wonderful a person that you know I'm just going to make take what I want out of life and nobody's going to take advantage of me where the where the uh, what we let people take advantage of us not concerned whether people take advantage of me or not, really. It's no that's not no longer the issue of being someone who doesn't ever get taken advantage of, but of being able to, to reflect on those experiences wisely, seeing them as they are. When you contemplate Dhamma, then one more, more, you realise how then then death is nothing to fear. That one is the physical death, nothing to be frightened of. I remember it. I dying. I don't. I'm, we're all going to die anyway. So I mean, whether it's now or fifty years from now, not really the issue. It doesn't. But what is frightening is uh, stupidity and ignorance and and uh, all that result from that of lying and killing and taking advantage of others and doing evil actions, causing harm to others. That's what frightens me. Thinking of doing that, killing some other person or or stealing or anything like this—it's more is something I really dread. I would not do it. I'd rather die first. I'd rather go out and be killed in in Kuwait than go out and kill somebody. i are going to die anyway. It's just a matter of time. As far as a physical being goes. But what is, uh, what is uh, horrible is to, is to have a mind that has just nothing but memories of evil acts. And if I should live, you know, if I could prolong my life a hundred years by killing somebody and even if that was true, if I lived a hundred years because I killed this person I'd have to live a hundred years the life of a murderer that'd be an awful hundred years, wouldn't it? hundred years of, of having that memory in your mind because you'd remember it all of those hundred years unless you had to become a, maybe Alzheimer's disease might might, might be a come along and help you forget it or or stay drunk most of the time or watch be a couch potato watching the television. The American term for somebody who's a television addict sit there and like a big blob, a big potato on the couch. So I suppose you've seen inane moronic things on the television you forget that that you're a murderer. (coughs) But you also remember it. So when one isn't uh, say the going to prostitute oneself for some kind of privileges or, or immediate pleasures or conveniences or uh, big deals. When you understand Dhamma you can't be a prostitute anymore, you can't prostitute yourself. So this is why we call it a refuge, a Sarana. It is a, a true refuge, a place to be, that which is where we, where we can realize truth, where there's realization, knowledge, understanding, insight. Seeing clearly, Jakung Utabati, Yanang Utabati, Panya Utabati, Vichau Utabati, Alo One has to feel great compassion for Mr. Gorbachev at this time also because one feels that he's a uh, has some vision and some sense or good intention, but uh, he probably doesn't have a refuge. So that trying to set right or change or create a new society or Improve the, or even just solve the basic problems of the Soviet mm. Union. It is seemingly such a complicated, difficult thing for any human being, and there's not much of a. There's probably no refuge for him. No Buddha Dhamma, Sangha no ability to to really trust. One has ideas, maybe, or good ideas, or democratic ideas, or humanitarian ideas. But they they're not. They cannot be real refugees They tend to as as, as ideals that we attach to. We tend to become confused by them. Now when we think of what we can do as individual beings at this moment, so they would like to feel that we can do something to help the situation the crisis. No. <clears throat> since I don't think any of us have great influence in regards in the political realm and none of us know Saddam Hussein then uh, they, that they intend, make the intention that our life today will be a benefit to all sentient beings. May this holy life lead us to the end of this whole mass of suffering. Make that intention every morning. Not to contribute to ignorance any anymore to determine not to, to be, to follow your pride and conceit and ignorant views and petty uh, reactions, and not to, to grasp and and uh, believe and follow such such tendency, to make a determination to transcend, to see Dhamma rather than to to promote yourself or believe in. The conditioned realm uh, as a reality. To realize conditions as conditions, not to regard conditions as reality. You know, take this, like this listening. When I, if I'm, if I get upset by something if I feel emotionally upset I listen to the things that go on in my mind like like somebody listening to somebody else talking on the other side of the fence you just say in the back garden and you hear these voices on the other side of the fence I don't like this it's not fair I don't want it I can't stand that it's not right it shouldn't be like this and you're just listening and you hear the People going on, rattling on, but it's not—it's not you. You're the listener. You're not the—you're not identifying with all that noise on the other side of the fence. So you—you you, you develop that sense of listening, of the mindful listener, aware, attentive to the way it is. Not judging. You're not—you're not saying, "Oh, that stupid person on the other side of the fence." What a pain! It's just, it's just a recognition of its presence, or what it is. That that which can listen and uh, and reflect, but not we're not condemning, taking sides against. Because then we join in the battle, don't we? We start we start hating the person on the other side of the fence. That's where the trust, competence confidence in just the knowing, ability to know and, and observe and realize the way things are, that's the Buddha seeing the Dhamma. That you realizing truth. So you get to know these these inner things, these these inner whispering things, nagging, uh, complaining sounds in your mind. Know them so well they, now they, I don't have very many left. I used my mind used to be really a really a real complaining, whining type of person, but through this kind of practice, I. I've, I've let go of all that sometimes it starts and you, you, i know what it is i don't believe it at all I know what it is i know it and i'm not going to uh I'm not going to believe and create problems around it follow it or or suppress it just recognize it. <laughs> well sometimes you get you get a challenge in your life know, like the we had that uh, Thai uh, papa almsgiving ceremony last May. And uh, I always feel so grateful to Thai people because they've been so supportive and helpful that when they're bringing this group from Bangkok about 50 60 Thai people coming from Bangkok to give or have an, or they're going to, and, you know, they spent the this retreat center they lived in the retreat center and we set it up as best we could you know Thai people came to cook food and wanted it to be perfect. Well, I really had this strong desire in my mind to, to make it as nice as possible so that when they go away, it was all very good. So they came and everything went very well and they all seemed to have a good time. The last day, the last night before they left to go back to Thailand, there is the one prop. You remember, and and uh, Ajahn Chan was here, so I thought it'd be good to. There were so many uh, non-Thai people that I thought I would give a talk in the sala, and then Ajahn Jan would would meet with the Thai people here in this room, and where he could talk Thai, they wouldn't, because a lot of them couldn't speak English, so. So, and, and he, Ajahn Jain agreed to that. I thought that was just a courtesy. I was being courteous and thoughtful. I was giving the now on the high seat, not the high chair. Sister Joda keep calling it the high chair. I say, Sister Jodhic, high chair is for baby. High seat. <laughs> 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 I was on the high, uh, high seat you know. giving <laughs> 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 and I see this one of the Thai, a Thai man, he comes up on the, toward the entrance and, and he, he turns the, uh, tries to get in but he, he doesn't seem to come in, so I think, and he goes away and, and so I ask somebody to go up and invite him in, but by the time the person gets up and goes out the Thai man has disappeared. And then this Thai man starts spreading the rumors that we're racist and that we, we look down on Thai people and we don't want them in our sala and we separate them. And, uh, and he went back to all those Thai people and told them this. <laughs> and said the door was locked. And you know the door on that front porch is never locked. I mean, we're trying to lock it these days. I don't think it's ever been locked. <coughs> so when I heard this the following morning, I was, I was really, I felt really upset. because The last thing I ever intended to be was a racist. I've never been racist. And here I was being accused of something—the most awful accusation that you could have. Call me anything but racist, please. <laughs> so I uh, talked to Ajahn Jan Ajahn uh was the man had talked to him, and he said the man was just determined to believe—a really stubborn man—and. And he believed his own views. And that morning, the coach drove up into the courtyard, and I think all the most of the time, people they all seemed pretty fed up with this man anyway. So he obviously wasn't, you know, they didn't, they weren't believing it. But it was such a, but it was a good experience for me because I found myself quite upset hurt of, because there is so much interest in trying to make everything right and then the worst possible thing, the worst possible accusation that you could have made was made <laughs> oh, that's good good dhamma really because I just, I just listened to myself the the sense of, of really of an indignation and and disappointment that this man had had interpreted something so badly and had spread and said this to those people and accused me directly. He told him that morning, before entering the coach, he told me that I don't approve of these racist attitudes or something like that, and, and separating the ties from the and and he was really livid, really angry still in the morning. So that's an unfair accusation, it's but yet as Dhamma it it obviously it makes you look at if you're getting offended and upset, then that's uh, that's something to really look at and to to see it as dhamma rather than than believe it and uh, carry on or be you know make yourself miserable for a, a long period of time over something that you can see as dhamma so this is why to the things that say in your lives as you live your life monks and nuns and incidences like that it always help you to to see even maybe the a subtle interest in wanting to make everything nice for everyone and then when and and then uh, and that very desire wanting to make everything nice for everyone when somebody doesn't see it that way or misinterprets it it's unfair it's not right but It is dhamma still. We can see the dhamma of it, so the using life's experiences uh, in in all their pleasant, unpleasant aspects, conditions of good and bad, and high and low, praise and blame, happiness, suffering, high position, low position success and failure and so forth, then these worldly Dhammas we see from the position of Buddha seeing Dhamma rather than a person who's, who's, being, who's going up and down with the Lokya Dhammas, who's a helpless victim of good fortune and bad fortune, praise and blame.